So, uh, welcome to Multiple Streams by Any Means podcast geared towards showing our people different ways to make money while also putting the spotlight on entrepreneurs, content creators, and business professionals. Um, I'm your host, Bam, and we also got my co-host, Jason Wyatt Pro. Man, today we got a special uh, special talent, man. He's a man of many, many different business ventures. Uh, he's also uh, one of the hosts of the B2M. B2L. B2M, Boys and Men podcast, where they talk about, you know, their story as um coming up as far as kids and parenthood and things of that nature man um so today man hailing from virginia we got wacky my brother yeah. wacky appreciate you coming sir thank y'all for having me man i'm so excited to be here man i'm really looking forward to the conversation and uh <laughs> hopefully through this conversation we will give someone yes. a one thing that they can take from it that will make a difference in their life i love it that's the whole Absolutely. idea that's the whole goal man um so we'll get the basics, man. Where you, where you from? Where you from? Man, born and raised in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. You know, you, the home of the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, Monticello. That's <laughs> what that's 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 what we are known for. I always like to say, uh, Central Virginia is what I like to call the the womb of America. So in our area, we have Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, James Madison. All came from this little, you know. 30, 40 minute radius okay. uh, right there in Charlottesville. And then when you think about even like development of the country, when it comes to uh, someone like John Marshall, not too far away, or uh, Lewis and Clark, when they went on the expedition, they mm-hmm. were all in our area. These are all people who are local to, to Charlottesville. And so okay. Thomas Jefferson being the father of the Declaration of Independence and writing that and creating this awesome, amazing country. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, it's just been an interesting journey, you know, being being from there. So right. I always say that's that's the origins of Charlottesville. But as of late, we've been known for the Tiki Torch marches. Look at that. You know, the the, 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 the the Nazis, when they showed up and hit the girl in the car, Heather Heyer, oh, and hit her, that that was in our hometown. So that was, that was right there uh, where we were. So that 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 thing almost became synonymous with our town. If you watch politics or something like that, they may reference Charlottesville. They're referencing the Nazis and the Trump marchers showing up, and then you know you the, said that where you was at. That you yeah, we were there. We were we were we were there that day. We were the we were the counter protesters that day. Okay. So me, my wife, uh, and my two sons, we all went down there, and you know, you know, I know leading up to that march at that time. People were saying to us, why are you guys going down there? Just ignore those people. Just ignore those people. And I was like, nah. I was like, <laughs> if, if somebody told me my wife had stage four cancer, I would not ignore that. Thanks. You know, and I believe that racism is a cancer on our society. Mm-hmm. And we must deal with that accordingly. And so I wanted to take my family down there. I wanted to take my sons down there because I wanted those young fellas to know that, look, Dealing with this racism in this country, it is not someone else's problem. Mm-hmm. It is your fight to fight as well. 100%. And you must stand and make your voice heard and be present when it comes to dealing with racism and stuff like that. We never want to make it an excuse mm-hmm. for not being successful, but you have to understand that it's a problem in our country and we have to deal with it. And you, young fella, have a responsibility to deal with that. And I wanted them to be there, be present, see it, feel it. Know what it's like. See those dudes with 
you know, racists, all Nazis and all that yeah. stuff, you know, Confederate flags, and they carry AK-47s <laughs> and AR-15s. Wow. And to be that close and know that one of those that guys could pick that gun up and take our whole family out yeah. and to know what that feels like, yes, sir. you know, and, and that you got a responsibility to speak against that, and it's not okay, and it's not acceptable. Nah, that's a cool experience, right. man. Was our history social studies like your favorite subject growing up? No, I ain't had no favorite subject. I was terrible in school. Like, <laughs> like, uh, he, he means he liked every subject. <laughs> man, I hated school from fifth, from first grade to graduation. Man, I, I was, I was, I was not a good student. And um, you know, my mm -hmm. uncle used to always. My uncle had this little saying. He was like, "Nephew, don't worry about it. If you don't like school, don't worry about it." He used to always tell me that mm -hmm. A students teach the B students to work for the C students. Ooh, tell them again. You know, <laughs> and so. So I bought into that hook, line, and sinker, you know. And, I, you know, I heard somebody add on to that. The A students teach the B students to work for the C students, and the D students dedicate the buildings, you know. So I heard somebody say that. So I'm like, all right, I, I bought into it. I'm like, all right, I don't need no grades. I'm good. <laughs> it was, um, growing up, it was a lot of you guys siblings-wise or? Just me and my brother, uh, okay. sibling, but we were raised, you know, and when, when I talk about a village, it was a village. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my grandma, who's alive today, she on the 25th of this month, she's going to be 94. Oh, wow. And she is still she's sharp still as ever. You know what I mean? Her house was always home base for all oh, of us. Yeah. You know, it's a whole bunch of nieces and nephews and grandkids cousins. and cousins. And yeah. everybody would yeah. always come back to that home base. So. You know, we was raised around aunts, uncles, and cousins, and all that stuff. So cool. it was it was it was it was a good environment. But just siblings, just me and my brother, and and my my parents. Okay, okay. You know, outside my, of grade school, did you go to college? Yeah, I, I went to. Uh, I, after I graduated from high school, I took two years off. I was just floundering, couldn't yeah. figure out what I wanted to do. Um, during that time, I got a real estate license, so that was the beginning of the interest in real estate. But oh, during those two years. You know, the 80, I graduated 89, so 89 and 91, you know, that's the height of the crack epidemic and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Police harassing us like yeah, crazy. Mm -hmm. So I just realized, you know what, I'm going to get out of here before they set me up. <laughs> I'm going to go to college <laughs> and get away from them. So right. uh, John, the guy you met earlier, we were roommates at Virginia Union. We went to HBCU, okay. and we played football there. So mm -hmm. I played football at HBCU in the early 90s. Yeah, so that was, that was my college experience, and and was a good, and was a really good student when I got there. Okay, because I had made some decisions about you know doing a, doing a really good job and 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 taking my academics serious. Mm -hmm. And and when you take those two years off, you come to college with a different level of maturity. Okay, you know, no, so right. so I wasn't I wasn't on oh, yeah. all of that all that nonsense that everybody a lot of other freshmen yeah. might have been on. You know, yeah. No, um, I went to uh, when I first started. So I went to Auburn State, another HBCU. Okay. Um, yeah, I started spring semester because I graduated uh, high school kind of early. And I started uh, spring semester, and yeah, just that avoiding that college rush. I mean, which is the funnest part about college, probably being a freshman fall semester. Yeah. But just being in the spring semester, it kind of made me more of an outcast. Not necessarily on campus, but more so I didn't get that experience. So I had a different mindset, you know, when it just came to getting things done. Some of the bad seeds already, yeah. you know, taught, put themselves out of the race and, um, yeah, so um, what, what was the school you, you said you went Virginia to? Virginia Union in Richmond, Virginia. Virginia. Just Union? Yeah, Virginia Union University. And oh, it's okay. in Richmond, Virginia. What'd you take up? Uh, I was a finance major. 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, I was, I, was, I was a good student. I was in the, you know, Sidney Lewis School of Business at Virginia Union. I was always a really good student. I, I had plans of, of going to Wall Street when I finished. That was my original plan. Got to go, but... Um, but then my son was born my, my third year. So, I, I planned derail. derail. You know, it didn't have to be. Now, you know, now that I'm old, I look back on it. I was like, man, that was just a cop out, you know, on my part. <laughs> I just copped out, you know what I mean? But uh but yeah, that yeah, something so my son was born and so that that was it. Okay. Doing doing so your I college years, were you still doing real estate as well? No, when I when I, I was interested in real estate and I took the I uh took the class. Yeah. And I passed the class, but uh-huh. I never went to take the exam. So Right, exactly. Because. Yeah, because we was running the streets. streets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a young man. Yeah, we were, it happens. We were, we were being stupid, yeah, <laughs> you know, and so I, and so it was back there in my mind, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but you know, but really, I was just like, yo, I just need to get away from the city because the police keep pulling us over and all that stuff, and I was just like, let me get out of here. So that just put everything like on hold. hold. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. That's what's up. You said, and you were playing football? Yeah. What position? Wide receiver. Oh, that was that was eighty pounds ago, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look, now I look like a right guard, but I look like a wide receiver back then. Hey. I, I had some muscles then. <laughs> hey, it's okay, man. I like the water boy. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, all good. That was the uh, only sport you played coming up. You played. Well, I played basketball in high school. Basketball. Yeah, basketball. A lot of basketball. Athlete. Mostly basketball, actually. I only played football because my buddy was playing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't even my thing. I, I just played because he was playing. Mm. And just happen to be decent at it. Yeah. You know. Okay. Now that's what's up. Um, so, like, was real estate your first, like, you know, getting your feet wet as far as entrepreneurship? Uh, you know, real estate was the first time I, I took it serious. So, um, so fast forward. I, 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 um, I take the class when I'm, like, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. But then I, once my son is born, I work a series of jobs because I'm just like, all right. So, so I spent most of the 90s um, in the hotel business. I was a doorman at a five-star hotel. Okay. So that was a super cool gig. But you understand it's only so many $5 tips. You know, you got <laughs> to do something else. And so in that time, you know, I, I, had, um, I had grown when I was younger. So my first taste of entrepreneurship well, my uncle introduced me to scalping tickets. Okay. So I started scalping tickets when I was seven years old. Oh, wow. So I was, oh, wow. I was at all of the UVA games, all of the UVA basketball and football games from the time I was seven up until three years ago, bro. I just gave it up three years ago. Scalping tickets. Scalping tickets. Yo, it'd be so funny, man. I'm the board president for a nonprofit at home, and board members will walk past and see me outside scalping <laughs> tickets. They'd be like... What in the world? <laughs> but it was something I did because, you know, my uncle had introduced me to the mm-hmm. game and it taught me everything I needed to know about entrepreneurship. Yeah, that definitely And is. so, but at that point, you know, as I got older, it was just so many people that just relied on me weekly for, for their tickets and everybody called my phone <laughs> so much you every day. <laughs> that, I just, that I just continued to do it. So that was that was my real introduction, you know, scalping tickets, raking leaves, shoveling snow, all okay, of that really, stuff. Really and, and my uncle Mike gave us that game, you yeah. know, he, he gave us that game. So he taught us, you know, how to go out there and hustle and how to get it. Um, I tell people all the time that 
the fact that I knew how to go hustle and get it is what truly allowed me to be an entrepreneur because I never felt like I would starve. Okay. I always felt like I could make some money some way. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So many times people don't go off on their entrepreneurial journeys because they worried about not having money. Yeah. But when you know you can hustle up on some money mm -hmm. and you can make it happen, so that good. gives you the confidence and the courage to go out there and 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 and, and take some chances in the entrepreneurial yeah. world. Nah, so yeah. when I was, you know, when I was working those jobs at the hotel, I was doing everything, doing Amway, I did Excel, <laughs> I did, you know, phone service, legal service. Any type of multi-level marketing business I could yeah. do, I was really trying to find it. Yeah. And um, when I was around 30 years old, um, me and my partner, Corey, and my friend, a lot of the same group of friends that you'll meet, mm -hmm. um, okay. we, we started a newspaper, African-American newspaper in Charlottesville. It's called the African-American Reflector. Oh, and dope. so we ran the black newspaper in town for several years. Okay. And we also started a production company called Wacky Entertainment where we bought comedians and jazz musicians and all that. We bought Ricky Smiley to the area, okay. and okay. we bought all kinds of entertainment to the area. So I was like, if I'm going to stay in Charlottesville, if I'm not going to follow my brother to Atlanta, mm -hmm. what do <laughs> I need to do to make my hometown better? And I felt like we need, one, we needed to give the Charlottesville African-American community a voice. Okay. We did that with the newspaper. And two, we needed to give that same community entertainment. Um, options okay and so we and so that's what we did and we did that for several years um, and so I was doing all of that stuff and that's around 30 so I got my real estate license at 30 years old okay. and <laughs> I remember uh, the first house I sold um, a brother named uh, I don't know if y'all might know he, he has a, 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 a practice here in, in, in Atlanta area his name is Dr. El Amin. Um, he El Amin Orthopedics. And uh, he was the very first house I ever sold, man. And, and I remember I got the check, and it was for like $5,000. And I was just looking at that bad boy. I was just <laughs> like, yo. I was like, okay, like all of that other stuff I was doing, it, we would make pennies, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but but five Gs, I'm like, okay. Yeah, found yourself. I, I got it. I got yeah, it. I'm gonna yeah. do this. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, "All right, get rid of the newspaper, get rid of entertainment." You know, and my sons are growing up too at this time, so they're like, you know, really, really young, seven, four, whatever. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gone too much because I'm doing so much. Mm. I need to put that down, and this is what's making money. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to put all that stuff down. I remember one day, it was a pivotal moment for me. Mm. We were outside in the driveway. We were playing basketball. My son was like, check ball, check ball. And my phone rung in my pocket. Go ahead. And I went to grab my phone. And my son just looked at me. He was like, you bet not answer that. <laughs> so that was a, 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 that was a that was a shift in my thinking. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get rid of that newspaper. I'm going to get rid of the entertainment company. I'm going to sell houses because I know that works. I'm going to coach my son's Pop Warner team. I'm going to okay. coach his AAU basketball team. Mm. I'm going to take him to school every morning. I'm going to pick him up every afternoon. So much so, at one point, he started to think I didn't work at all. 
<laughs> which was another bad decision, you know what I mean? And I realized, oh, you got, you got to see you do something, you know. But I, my, I was just made, I made my world completely around my sons. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what I was like. All right, let me, let me go ahead and let him see me at least take a phone call every now, now and then, then, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still working. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He exactly. thought you were like the dude from Martin Tommy. Yeah, 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 exactly. No he ain't got no job. He ain't got no job. Yeah. One day he was like, Dad, you don't do nothing. <laughs> Like what? And I was like, okay, I I made that mistake. That's not once again. I was saying before we started, mm-hmm. you know, more things are caught than taught. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so yeah. He, that's what he was picking up. Yeah. He was picking up like I always see you. You're always here. Every day. Mm-hmm. You coach. You take me to school. You pick me up. You coach my team. You at dinner every night. Like you all. When do you do anything? Because I had real estate, so I was able to craft my life around mm, their lives, and that was the that was the number one thing real estate yeah. gave me was the opportunity to craft my life mm. around my family. Okay. Because I knew, you know, that quality of life was super duper important, and so I, at that time I was like, all right, put my boys on pause. In turn, I'm gonna raise my boys. I'm gonna put all this chasing money on pause. I'm going to raise my sons. When they get 20 years old, whatever, I can go back to chasing money. money. Yeah. So now I'm back to chasing money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm back now. to chasing. It's, it's, exactly. real, it's real sacrifice right there, man. Yeah. So, salute that. That's what's up. Um, I don't know what made me think of it. Well, I know what made me. When you were talking about the ticket scalping, yeah. remind me of that movie Money Talks. You ever saw that movie? With Chris I have I haven't. I haven't. That haven't. was his main profession. He was a, he was a ticket scalper. Really? Yeah, oh, I gotta a, watch that. Yeah, he had the Phantom of the Opera ticket. That, that was his. Oh that yeah. Was his. Yeah yeah yeah. Man, ain't nothing like when Duke Blue Devils and North Carolina Tar Heels coming to town. <laughs> you know, that's a good day. You know, and of course, you know, we had the hometown of Dave Matthews Band is from Charlottesville. Dave Matthews. Yeah. So whenever they have a show at home, that's always a, that's always said, a big event. Yeah yeah yeah. That was always a big event. So. North Carolina, you know, Duke basketball, Clemson, Miami, Florida State football, mm-hmm. all of those were always good. So, man, I've been I've been going to those games ever since I was seven. And I probably – I've missed one football game in 40-plus years. Wow. And I miss um, – uh, and, I, I, and I miss maybe ten basketball games, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right, so what was your Phantom of the Opera in a ticket scale? Like, what was your – High, you know, expensive tickets, you know, as far as back then when you were doing your thing as far as tickets go. Best tickets we ever sold, man, was when Zion Williams was playing at Duke. Zion, oh, yeah. Yeah, like that ain't even that long ago. That was 2019. Yeah, I know, that was 2019. That was like the last year I did it. Okay. So, yeah, that was the last year I did it, and Zion tickets was going for – you know, a basket college basketball game, they going for twenty five hundred apiece. Oh snap. College basketball. Yeah, yeah, Damn. yeah. So Virginia was really good that yeah, you got whether you keep up with college basketball or not, but Virginia, my team actually won a national championship that year. Mm. Um so but yeah, but but they lost to Duke twice. They had Zion. They lost three games that year. Mm. Lost to Duke twice, but they won a national championship. So mm. so yeah, so that was that was my, you know, you know, that was always good, you know. And so when I'm out there scalping tickets, it's a good thing because, bro, I'm 10 years old and I can make $300 scalping tickets, $500 scalping tickets. You know what I mean? And as I got older, you know, you put more money into it and you had big days. So, you know, 
days, you know, Zion game, I don't know, we probably made about $16,000 scalping tickets. In one day? In one day. Is that that's well, like a team well, of people? It's, or? It's, it's, it's for one event okay. because people are calling like the week leading up to it, and I'm selling them four here, four there, two here, yeah, two there. Yeah. Okay. And so – um, and then, you know, for that one event, I think we probably did about 16000 So, So you were never the type of person that sit outside the stadium. I was exactly where I was. Exactly where you were. That's exactly where I was. Yeah, I only my, once my son got into the business, then we took it in-house. Okay. okay. And we started doing more stuff online. But I was still out there, man, 50 degrees on a Tuesday night. They playing Boston College. You ever sold some, some dud tickets, though? I have, I have, but uh, one of the things that I think made my business and me really credible mm-hmm. is if I sold somebody a fake and they came back to me, mm-hmm. I would give them their money mm-hmm. back and okay. I would eat it. Okay. And I and I always told my son, you know, because I'm teaching my son out there, and I'm like, it's the cost of doing business, all right, and you always operate this business with a high level of integrity, you know, because sometimes people have tickets and they're like, Hey, are you going to sell this ticket or are you going to go in? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, no, tell them, I'm going to sell this ticket. ticket yeah. You know, and if they don't want to sell it to you, that's fine. It's their ticket. Somebody else yeah. will sell you one. Facts. You know, yeah. somebody somebody going to walk past you, you got an extra ticket, they're going to be like, uh, no, and I wouldn't sell it to you. I'll wipe my ass <laughs> with it before I give it to you. Yeah, that's how they do. And I would tell my son, never be jaded by that person because the next person is going to come along and they're going to say, yeah, I got four tickets here. You can have them make yourself a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So you got to understand that both of these people exist in the world. And so it, as I'm coaching my son through this experience, I want him to go on and be an entrepreneur and all this stuff. And what I told him was everything you've learned in the business world, you've learned out here. Yeah. Now, when you go in that classroom, it's the same thing, but a different turn. Yes, sir. You know, it ain't. Hey, get rid of that ticket kickoff about to start. It's in the classroom, it's price curve. Yeah. In the classroom, it's decaying asset. Yeah. Same thing, different name, different place. So right. you so you're gonna be well versed. You're gonna know how to deal with the dude that's on drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. out here trying to make a buck so he can get high. Mm-hmm. And you're also gonna talk to the CEO of X business in town because he the one yeah. with the extra tickets. tickets. You know, and so it's going to teach you how to deal with everybody. And so I, it was just a great training ground for my son in terms of his entrepreneurial journey, um, you know, doing that. So you're adult. So you're probably, I guess with that with that hustle, it'll entail finding season ticket holders and just buying. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Just, bingo. And now my son, is, I got two sons, 29 and 25 years old. Okay. So my, my oldest son has a non-emergency medical transportation company that he started. But that was his second business. He went to college and studying sustainable business, Mm -hmm. and the business he started was a ticket business. Mm. So it was like a cross between uh, StubHub and Eventbrite. But it was for high school sports. So you know how now when you go to a high school game, they make you do it on your phone and all that? My son has started that in 2017. All right? He had worked on it from 2017 all the way to 2020. Mm. The day they finally got the app ready, the day they ready to launch was March 23rd, 2020. COVID happened, country, country shut down, down. Oh, no yeah. events. Wow. So in that moment, 
I'm sitting there looking at him like, all right, entrepreneur, what you going to do? Got to pivot. <laughs> yeah, and he had been driving Uber and Yellow Cab while he was doing that. Okay. He was like, well, I've been doing Uber and Yellow Cab. I think I can start a transportation company. Mm. I can do a transportation company. And I was like, all right, come up with a name. He was like, I already got the name. I said, what is it? He's like, Swift, you know, safe with your fast, reliable transportation. Ooh. I was like, okay, I like that. And my wife was like, well, you need a car, you need a van. She went online, Craigslist, found a van. Mm. I went online, set up the LLC. Mm. Like, literally, we sitting there in the living room. Mm. Oh, that's literally, we did that's that. Powerful. The next day, we went to Harrisonburg and bought a van for $1,700. That was his first vehicle. Mm. That was in March, June, he did his first trip. Mm. Now, he has families working for him. People driving for him, got cars on the road, you know, people, we see the cars in town and all that stuff. It's super cool, man. It's providing jobs and opportunity for folks. And um, he's 29 years old, doing really, doing really well. And you said that was less than three years? Yeah, yeah. And he started that at the height of the pandemic. Mm. You know, in time time twenty, yeah, in time of people panicking, not figuring out what they're gonna do, he didn't came up with a solution. Exactly, and it's brilliant because you know it was it's non medical emergency. You exactly, know? So it's Every, like, yeah, it went hand in hand. It's 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 the healthcare industry mm-hmm. paid for by the government. Yeah, exactly. You can't go wrong, you know, right, and that's exactly. what he's doing. And my twenty five year old son, he's a professional Call of Duty player. He plays video games for a living. Like on Twitch and he streams oh, wow. it and yeah, stuff yeah. like no, that. But he traveled all around the world. He just got back from Toronto two weeks ago. So playing video games. He's a pro video gamer. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. NBA yep. of uh, that's exactly Call of right. Duty. Yep, exactly. Game. Exactly. So Dang. that's what he he does. And so, you know, as my when my kids were young, because I coached their teams, when I would be around kids, you would always, you ask a kid that playing AAU basketball or pop water football what they want to do. Mm-hmm. That kid invariably will tell you, I want to be a professional football player, basketball player. Yeah, yeah, average. And I would always hear what I call the dream-killing adults tell them to get a plan B. Well, after being around my kids and coaching some kids, I've seen their friends win a championship with the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. I watched my son teammate blocked for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So I just always told my kids, hey, it's your job to come up with plan A. I got plan B. Whatever you say B is, that's what we'll do. If you say, dad, I want to be a comedian, bet, let's go. Let's make it happen. You know, let's get you an agent, go to New York, go to LA, whatever we got to do. You know, and I told my son, I said, so let me finish. I told my Younger, my oldest son was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's been doing his tickets. Cool, great. Go to college. We're going to learn all this stuff. You're going to be ready. My youngest son at 14 comes to me, and he like, Dad, I know what I want to do. I'm like, what? I want to be a professional gamer. <laughs> I'm like, man, go ahead with that bush. <laughs> go ahead with that stuff. You know, and, and I was like, okay, you, that's your plan, A? He was like, yeah. I went, I studied gaming, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is about to be big. Okay. This is about to be real big. Yeah. And me and my wife went, and we was like, this is what you want to do? And I asked him, I said, you play? I was like, who the, who one of the best players in the game? He was like, this guy named Simp. I was like, Simp. I was like, I said, are you good like him? 
He was like, yeah. It's like, you can play like him? He's like, Dad, he's my friend. We've been playing since we were 14. I'm like, since we were younger. I was like, oh, so you're this good. Well, you know so when we made that decision, it was, okay, the first thing people ask me all the time, what did my, how did my son become a professional gamer? I jokingly always say, well, it starts with some irresponsible parenting, <laughs> you know, because most parents just won't allow their kids the time to play. Yeah. But I read Malcolm Gladwell's book. I heard about the 10,000 hours to be excellent mm-hmm. at what you're doing. And I'm like, well, he already put in his hours. Well, I'm going to go tell him be an accountant. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, all right, he, you got it. So the first decision we had to make was we're going to allow him the time to play. Man, the adults would come to our house and be like, that boy on the game again? Y'all letting that boy play? <laughs> you know, the school would call us. They have Mr. Wynn. Um, Kari's grades are not, a, I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know, he, but he, he not going to college. <laughs> He's going to be a gamer. Don't worry about it. We just making him graduate. So y'all can stop calling me. <laughs> like, really? Y'all can stop calling me. Really? You know, he, he, he they would look at me like I had two hands, bro. I know. They would be like, he's going to do what? I said, he's going to play video games for a living. Like, and I'm selling, like, he's in, like, 10th grade. And I'm telling him, I'm like, yo, that's what he's going to do. And uh, it's so funny, man. I met with the guy who was his counselor at the time. I just met with him a week ago. And he wanted to talk about getting in the real estate business. And the first thing he had, how's Car in the game and going? And I'm like, he's doing good. In fact, I'm like, he in Toronto right now. So, yeah, so... It's uh, it is interesting, man. So you know, you gotta. I'm a firm believer that young people absolutely have to pursue their dreams and stop listening up, man. Don't nobody kill more dreams than mama and grandma and granddad. Mm -hmm. And you know why? It's not because they don't want you to be successful. It's because they have the fears of what stopped them from achieving their successes. And Mm -hmm. so, as a result of that, they really just trying to protect you. They're really just trying to protect you. But what they do is they put all their limitations on you. And you have to, as a young person, make sure that you don't absorb their traumas, Mm -hmm. 